You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is DBN, and of course, with me is uh, the eternally optimistic and catastrophically creative Gibbles and Bits. That's right. We've got Gibby and Ian on the cast. Ooh, best friends cast. That's what I love to see. How you doing, my man? Woo! Doing good, buddy. Doing good. How are you, sir? Good. I feel like it's been forever since I got to, to sit down. I mean, we talk all the time and we've been playing, like taking our lunch breaks at work since we both work from home and playing a lot of Pokemon Unite. But I feel like it's been a long time since we sat down and like chatted on the podcast because it's been uh, pro- about a month. I mean, that that's the cycle now, but it feels like it's been longer than that. I've it's missed true. doing this with you, buddy. That's right. That's right. Now we did get a episode with all three of us in there. Um and there was a uh a not aired uh attempt at an episode with the three of us, a bonus episode that ended up not getting finished unfortunately. But yeah, it's been a minute since you and I have uh, sat down and and had the focused conversation of LOR as opposed to, you know, talking about life stuff. I mean, who does that? Lame. It's not like uh, we're adults or anything. That's now. right. <laughs> no uh so so we're we're here talking about legends of ruterra and we we legally have to talk about legends of ruterra we can't get too distracted this well week. we can try i mean if they want to come down I, if they want to come down and knock down my door and drag me out in the street for not talking about enough lor and talking to my best friend you know what so be it you know that's the price you pay you know what mark is close enough he might make the drive all right <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna listen to this this week and say all right that that's it i'm 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 going to get oh shoot i mean <laughs> i mean shoot him. mark's watching us even though he's not on the episode we saw in discord when i posted that i was it that i was ready to, to record at 7 30 we're recording a little earlier today than we typically would and then our our midnight owl sessions he's always watch he said i see you guys are recording early <laughs> even though he's not on i feel like he wishes he was still on tonight tonight's a night he think he's just yearning I, I think for so more. i think he i i think he does i think he would love to be on i know his his voice was shot after a weekend partying it up playing lots of dungeons and dragons so i don't know how great he'd sound that that uh that gravelly uh announcer voice is even more gravelly right now i heard it earlier on the uh he wouldn't the have to, he wouldn't have to stream. try it would just already be gravelly and it would just the, the entire That's time right. would be that that's right. Meanwhile, our voices are freshly buttered from not having anything that we have that to do. That is the first time anybody has described <laughs> my voice as freshly buttered, but I wish they would do it more often. It sounds like it, doesn't Ooh, it? Doesn't my voice. it? voice. Listeners, you can chime in and tell us whose voice sounds more freshly buttered. Freshly buttered. <laughs> well, okay. It, it, enough banter okay we we do have the obligation we have to check the banter box check. done checked and uh and, and we're ready to talk a little alawar um i do kind of want to jump in uh really quick because we've got actually quite a few segments to cover tonight uh but real fast i do want to um 
remind everybody to uh, to check in on their league matches. I know that there was a couple buys this week because of the new bracket format, uh, and uh, we've already had some excitement. I myself had a buy, but that's probably good because I lost my first round and I needed to reevaluate. Okay, some this is this is um this is it right now, DBN. You and I are in the same scenario. Mm -hmm. We both went into mm -hmm. our league one. Our league week one matches feeling good, feeling confident. We are co-hosts. We need to represent. Yep. We need to do mm -hmm. a good job. And then we absolutely right. got clapped by our first week opponents. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say this. I think yours is maybe a little bit closer than mine was. But Brudon, shout out to Brudon. Uh, mm -hmm. Good dude. Also mm -hmm. fellow 49ers fan. Love the guy. He absolutely destroyed me. It wasn't even close. And it, it was a humbling moment that made me, th I need, I'm reworking all of my decks because I'd have zero yes, confidence that I would be able to turn it around if I ran confidence if I ran anything of the we'll same say. in week in week two. But but you I have know, a but I gotta buy just like you to be able to sit around. Mm -hmm. And you know who my mm -hmm. week three opponent is? It's Mark. Oh, Shucky it Ducky. is a co-host challenge. He and I. Wow. That 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 means that a co-host will advance. And a co-host will be it eliminated. Just... That's right. So it's a it's a win. I mean, it would be it's better than if we all got eliminated on the same week. That would look lame. People would be like, "Why are you podcasting about this thing if you can't even make it into like you know the third week of your own event?" But fortunately, that literally cannot happen. Yes, now. I mean, and, and how how the how the glory has fallen. Um, I left last season's Swiss as the number one ranked player. <laughs> yeah undefeated to then lose week mm -hmm. one and if i lose to mark week two i will be the, one of the first people eliminated <laughs> what a turn of events it would be oh, it would boy. be funny you, regardless yeah you yeah you and i were you and i were after swiss we were seated in the top four i think you were one and i was three or four because that my only loss was to you and uh and we, we of course, like we didn't want to take up space in the bracket. It's not like we're going to give prizes to ourselves, but we, we backed out and it ended up being a great top four. Mm -hmm. But here we are now all the way down in the loser's bracket on the chopping block. So uh, we, we, we better get our act together is all I'm saying. We um, do. So this and is, just this is a wake up call for us. And just to throw it out there as well, uh, it happened a little bit past the last season ending, but I did follow through and uh, purchase a nice trophy and send it out. Uh, on mm -hmm. my own dime, to Nerf Lulu, That's who right. was our our previous champion from the last season, and I intend to do the same for this season and any kind of subsequent season that we do for the Legends Cast Discord League. So, um, for any of you questioning your work ethic and what's really in it for me, mm -hmm. why should I? I know we've got some other prizes in there too, but a I, plastic I, trophy is what's I in want, it for you. It's a plastic. It's a nice plastic <laughs> trophy. It's nicely colored and shiny. And it it is a nice plastic trophy. <laughs> it'll stay shiny as long as you keep it shiny. Whoever you are that ends up winning the trophy. But That's I right. do you intend have to polish it like your Pokemon badges. I want. I want there. To, I want there to be space on someone's mantle for whatever trophy mm -hmm. they earn. And earning is is a big is a big piece of this because every champion we've had has absolutely earned it. So I I want That's our true. listeners out there who are playing in the Discord League to know that there will be a trophy at the end of this. So mm -hmm. put forth put your best foot forward, put your best champ deck forward, and go for it. 
Yeah, your best even or odd deck. Um, we've got we've got a lot to cover here, but uh, I did want to one more time, uh, as as we do every week, just thank our Patreon supporters, guys. You do so much for us, um, both publicly that we can fund tournaments and and leagues like we've been doing, as well as just the uh, not gonna lie emotional support of having people out there that see value in your work uh and see value in what you're providing to the the community and are willing to to put uh, a little money towards it to to help it continue so that is absolutely huge i don't have a list i don't think we had any new patreon supporters but i guarantee that next week uh if we do mark will uh will give you that shout out but either way i just wanted to take my turn on the cast to thank you guys and to let you all know if you're interested in supporting on patreon of course uh, we do a drawing every month for a piece of legends cast swag um any amount of support is uh, is acceptable. I mean, you can. I don't know what the minimum is, but if you could pay a penny an episode, um, you would still be having the same, you know, sort of full access to the the, the drawing as well as to our um, Legends Cast sideshow that we do uh, called the Mulligan. We actually are planning to record a new episode soon, um, so fear not on that front. Uh, and you also get a uh, special channel for patrons to sort of provide a little bit more feedback they're, they're usually the people we go to first when it comes to hey we have a question about what should we do for x y or z what would you guys like that's usually who we go to first so um a, a little bit of way to to influence the direction of the show and the community so if you're interested head on over to uh, patreon.com slash legends cast and uh and check us out there and if you have any questions of course you can uh you can ask us but uh i think we're gonna go ahead and jump into our standard weekly uh section segment uh being two champs in a hat ah the sweet smell of science so two champs better than one how many hats two champs better than one two no but how many hats one one champ, two hats. We share the hat. One champ, two hats. One champ, two <laughs> have, hats. We can only we we can only use champs with hats. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I don't know how many have hats. I think LeBlanc has a has a crown or a tr or something. Two champs, no shirt. That's uh, <laughs> probably we'll probably get more out of that segment if there was the two the, champs, no shirt. That's true. Two, no shirt, right? Or or like uh, uh, two champs, all pauldrons. Uh, that's another one. We'll probably be. Fine oh, Timo's on. got a hat. Uh, so. Oh, good. We can all we can have Timo in every yeah, deck. Yeah. LeBlanc. Uh, oh, Lulu's got so, a hat. Now you got me looking through who's got hats. Nami's got like a crown stop hat. Stop it! We're, these aren't the champions hat. we're talking about. <laughs> Cut it out. Cut it out. We have Siver and Aurelian Soul as our two champions that were randomly pulled by Gibby's magnificent uh, formula last week. So we each had to build a deck, and you know what we did? We didn't each build one. We just built one together because you know That's friends what best do friends that. Do. And also. It, it was, I mean, there's some tech choices in there for sure, but I do feel like the the general game plan that you would have to have for Aurelian Soul was pretty straightforward. Like, you, you, if you want to use Aurelian Soul and you actually want it to have some value, you kind of have to play sort of a mid-range you know, control the tempo of the game sort of uh, uh, play style. Now, you I, I, you could go full control, but I think in order to really capitalize on it, you know, Sivir is the engine to get you to ASOL because it's a very dominant board-centric uh, uh, unit. So we just built it together. And we, uh, 
you know, Gibby, Gibby, actually, the way we did this is Gibby came up with a list and sent it to me, uh, and I looked over it and I I made a bunch of changes, sent it back to Gibby, and then we talked about yep. it. And we made some changes. We reverted a few changes. We added some other things that we thought of while we were talking about it. And um, yeah, so 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 Gibby, r- run me through the deck that we in- that we landed on. Sure. So the deck that you and I collectively landed on with this two champs and a hat segment this week, um, obviously with Asol being the highest costed champion in the game as a 10 cost champion and Sivir being a champion that um, is one of the most powerful in the mid game. Um, you need to be able to get to that point. You need to be able to put units on board to be able to get uh, attacks off um, to start building up that counter that towards that 30 that Sivir needs in order to be leveled up. She levels off of uh, having a certain number of uh, allies strike for a certain amount of power, and then she levels when she gets the 30 power has has striked, um, struck, I should say, grammar. Um, but so what we ended up landing with in this deck is sort of a tempo of sorts with a relatively strong late game. So... Um, we used ancient prep. We've got tools like ancient prep to do some predicting, predicting being a theme that we wanted in here. So part of when you're running a tempo deck that um, needs to make it to the mid and late game, you have to make sure that you hit early with at least a little bit of board presence. You can't get behind, especially in a deck where you're not playing healing. You cannot get behind on a life. You have to be able to sustain your life total. You have to be able to keep a board presence and make strategic blocks. Um, so what we did was we used ancient preparations early for, for some predict tools. Also in a couple turns, it summons a clockling, so it gives you a body. Scrying Sands, that was an addition of Ian's, uh, where he says, um, predict, it's a one cost burst spell, predict, give an enemy negative two this round, uh, negative two attack, so you can get a good trade off, probably keep a little bit of board presence, but also plan for future turns. Um, Treasure Seeker, that puts a five, a fleeting five uh, cost, a one cost, no, I'm sorry, two cost, uh, Sandstone Charger, a five attack, two defense, ephemeral in hand. So that's a lot of really good attack power to help power up your Sivir. Well, it puts the, it puts a spell that summons the Charger in hand. Right. So, so you play, you puts it in hand, you can play, you can mm-hmm. play it for two mana and it's going to create that five, two ephemeral. Um, so that's a really good, especially if you play that on offense or you use it as a blocker and you get that strike off, that's really good towards server's requirement. Loping Telescope is a new card that has that mono or has that dual uh, region champion tag. So it's viable to be able to play with Targon. So we can put that in there to either get a Celestial or an Epic or a multi-region follower. So there's Preservarium, there's some good early game uh, draw in this deck to make sure that as long as we draw some of our early game, we can refill our hand, we can sustain, and we can plan for future terms to make sure that we have things to play. Um, in our as we as we move into the kind of the two drops and three drops, we've got rock hoppers, uh, we've got Solari Sunhawks and Merciless Hunters to be able to either grant something vulnerable to be able to pull it in, get a good trade off, or stun something powerful. Um, so that way that we're not losing tempo, we're not getting behind on board before we can really play our units in the mid game, which is some of the things that Sharima really kind of hits on hard and does really well is that they've got a lot of really good three, four, and five drops that just start outvaluing your opponent. So it's important that our one drops and two drops get us to that point where our threes, fours, and fives can just run away with it. 
um, and at least set us up for a favorable late game. So playing Merciless Hunter, playing Sibber on four. Um, we've also got Rampaging Bakai, uh, which is a kind of a, that was a little bit of a tech choice that DBN, and I know you and I have talked about it. We love that card uh, in, in decks that are trading in the early game. Why do you love Rampaging Bakai so much in this deck? Um, I like Rampaging Bakai because it wasn't my idea, it's your idea, and I have played so many games against Gibby where he's playing Sharima, and I get blown out of the water by a Rampaging Bakai. It's something that... It, it, it's a powerful enough card because it has a body, but it is actually going to be able to pick away at the board state and slow things down and remove really important units uh, especially things like, you know, Ezreal's and, and stuff like that, that are, there are backline champs, uh, that you don't want going to combat. And there's a lot of those out there right now. Um, so rampaging Bakai is brilliant inclusion, um, that I've lost to enough times from playing against Gibby that I am like fully on board now. And, and of course our sort of, you know, aggressively, statted units in the early game uh you know rock hoppers and hunters and stuff like that hopefully are generating enough slays plus we've got Siver in there too and and we are totally fine with like one for one trading in the early game we're not trying to protect you know uh, a, a rock hopper or a sunhawk right there we, we're not running a lot of tricks in the first place just some scrying sands and, and hushes and the reason being is we want things to we want the game to slow down we're happy to take even trades whenever possible and so getting to that you know slain four units is not something that should be difficult um and we're, we're only running two of those anyways but i do want to take over here for a second and, and say um you know with the late game i feel like there was a lot of directions we could go and we debated like several options right but what we ended with was two star shapings three eclipse dragons which i do feel are non-negotiable because you're running ASOL, you know, as the ability to reduce the cost of the next dragon. And and that, by the way, that effect is not like for the turn. It's like until you play a dragon, right? So you can play Eclipse Dragon on seven and then if three turns later, you, you draw your ASOL finally. Well, yeah, it's probably turn 10 now, but the bottom line is you still get that free two mana back. Um, but the ability to play an ASOL that's in your hand on turn eight, especially coupled with the predict that we have, should hopefully... Uh, get that big uh, scary space dragon down uh, as quickly as possible, right? Uh, and then we have one spirit fire. And that's another tech choice uh, that is just giving us a way to actually sort of like board wipe and, and turn everything into ritually sacrificed chicken teriyaki. <laughs> um, like... <laughs> Like this thing is is actually quite potent. I feel like uh, because of the burst speed aspect of it, um, to give that minus two. So in effect, it can slow down an attack on the turn you play it, but then uh, also you know impact everything and deal two damage to every enemy at the end of the round two and slow things down for future rounds. It's a little pricey. We have it at one right now, and and honestly, I can see wanting to like run a few more units in this top end and maybe even another four drop. Um, but, uh, but the bottom line is, and I think we, we talked about this, Gibby, uh, we felt like there was not enough, like must have cards to go into this deck, but there were a lot of like, would like to have cards. Like, like I think the way you put it, Gibby, it was right. like, it's a lot of six out of tens, seven out of tens, 
but not a lot of 9 or 10 out of 10s in terms of what should go in the list, which is both an interesting deck-building challenge, uh, but it is also a very big departure from the standard deck building experience of LOR as we kind of talked about last week. Yeah, I mean I think amongst the um I think amongst the different regions in LOR it is is pretty widely accepted that with the exception of Asol and maybe the Eclipse Dragon or maybe some of the other higher stuff like the Infinite Mind Splitter um the to Targon if it doesn't if you're not playing a celestial deck that's pulling celestials where you're going to pull some big scary celestial space dragon outside of Asol or like the, the Scourge, or some Phoenix Hawk, um, or unless you're pulling that, Targon really doesn't have a lot on the top end. That it, It's very narrow on the top end of what's playable, and it's widely accepted that Shirima doesn't really have a top end, that they kind of burn out one in card draw and two in power, because a lot of their early game champions, with, with, with them being Sun Disk options, if you get them to that Ascended, extra level upon after leveling up that level three essentially they become almost game winning in themselves even though they're, they're lower drops there's a different way to develop a late game and it's through early drops getting super leveled um so or just like looping warlords palaces i mean that too i mean auction <laughs> does it now as well so there's no you're you're right. I mean, Sharima's like options in terms of like not even just late game champs because I mean you do have Nasus, but like in terms of like units that you want to play, I mean you're looking at like Kahiri, the the Dune Breaker with Lurk, Raz Bloodmain, which they've buffed and it's still crap. You know, what I mean, like you really don't have much going. There's on no Captain there, Farron. Right? There's no Lateros. Sanctum Conservator. There's none of that. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. You don't have those high impact, like especially instant impact units that you need to have if they're going to cost six, seven, or eight right. mana. Um, and so, so you don't have that. So that's okay. You know, I, I we were talking about this, and and I think the key is going to be structuring it akin to a Leona Asol deck, and that was a very potent list for a while, which I happen to love. I felt like that list was one of the most interesting. And I know I might be in the minority here, but one of the most fascinating, interesting lists to pilot because it was very much like a game of inches. Like you, you very rarely completely blew someone out. It, you kind of had to work for the win, even though all of your tools in it were flexible and powerful. So that was cool. Um, and so taking it in that that similar, you know, that that similar approach, I think is is the way to do it. And it, and I think that it, it's, it, it can be largely successful in that you just have to be able to understand that you don't get to sit back as much as you did with Leona. You do have to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and be careful with your mm -hmm. cards, which is why we have so much card control. Um, what uh, would be some cards that you would uh, look to potentially experiment with and, and slot in for other things, Gibby? If I was going to consider something different in this deck, um, I mean, I would consider if you wanted to run a little bit more I mean, we're running probably, what, about half and half now, a little bit towards the more Sharima. You could cut more of the celestial tools and run a bit heavier of a um a little bit heavier of a sharima build with some of just the dragon stuff on the top end and you could put in uh the four cost unit a golden ambassador the allegiance card that draws a champion and grants it plus two plus two Sivir being such an oppressive champion if you draw if you drew a a sivir 
um, with plus two, plus two, and it being a seven cost, a four cost, seven five with quick attack and spell shield. That is just bonkers. The if if you wanted to trade out some of the mid game tools, a very common combo card to to play along with Sivir is Profiteer. You could go a little bit more of the lucky find route to start buffing things and uh, puffing some of your units, whether it be their attack or putting other keywords on them through through lucky finds. You could go that route as well. Um, so there's there's some different routes here. Uh, you can go another card that I think is a little bit underrated that I also love is the uh, Vecaron Safecracker. Uh, it's a four cost four four. Uh, give an ally plus two plus zero and give an enemy negative two uh, attack this round. So the the buffed attack also helps with getting Sivir towards Sivir's level up. You also work toward a favorable trade where you force your opponent to either take a lot of damage or defend with something that they planned to keep alive. Um, there's a lot of buffing going on right now or like uh, resource generation. So a card that I also really like is Moonlight Affliction. I mean, you could possibly run Moonlight Afflictions instead of Hushes, or you could run Moonlight Affliction instead of uh, maybe even if you found that the Spirit Fire was too expensive, you could cut that down to five costs and you could run Moonlight Affliction uh, and pair that in the mid game along with some of your three cost, four cost units on like a turn five or a turn six. Um, to try and really control the mid game um, to really make it, just make sure that you have a wide enough board and a long enough board. Because uh, Sivir is one of those champions that if you if you can win the mid game, you have to respect Sivir and get rid of her and what she threatens to do or else she will just run away with it herself, which isn't a bad thing because your opponent's going to have to spend a lot of resources to do so. And then you'll just come down with big, scary Celestials and then they won't have the resources that they used on Sivir to deal with it like they would have. So it's really about comboing and winning that mid game out valuing and then just swinging with bigger stats than they can deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think we actually initially uh, were doing more invoking. So I think that that's a, a viable option yeah. potentially. My only issue with running too many invokes is that you don't have a reliable game plan. It's one thing to to invoke when you like when you have other cards around you that are forming the foundation. It's another thing it's another thing to have invoke be the foundation. And I feel like those decks although they initially look promising, um I, I find that they tend to fall through um the, and 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 end up just being too unreliable uh in order to stave off aggression. Right. Yeah. Uh, you really need consistent draws and a consistent plan in order to stop the aggressive decks that are out there right now. And quite frankly, this may not be able to do it, but at least you can like measure and you have quantifiable data after a certain number of games. Oh, I continually lose to these aggro decks. What do I need to change? How can I shore up that early game a little bit better? And that's my only concern with too many invoke cards. Mm -hmm. I will, however, say there are a lot of options for cheap uh, board buffing. Right, so you have scrying sands, you have exhaust, uh, you have uh, relentless pursuit or ruthless predator. I mean, uh, ruthless predator absolver, which is another one that's quite interesting for the ability to give Sivir and or Aurelian Soul the coveted overwhelm. Um, there is also um, the 
two mana Sunblessed Vigor, which I'm a huge fan of because the 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 buff will stick around. And so I think that there's a lot of options uh, there as well to sort of trade out numbers uh, and potentially include a little bit more like uh, tricks, combat tricks. So there, there's a lot uh, of promise here. We are going to drop the deck code into the description. So you guys will be able to check out what Gibby and I created. One thing I did notice is we forgot to put in a single copy of... Uh, of uh right of negation so something's gonna have to go because i if i'm ever running shirima i'm putting at least one right of negation in the deck uh just as that uh that chance to just win the game off of a cancel uh but uh but barring that we will of course include this uh in the description so you guys can uh, check it out try it out yourselves i did see a couple people experimenting uh on their own so it'd be neat to uh to compare notes there um anyway so that is our two champs in a hat at the end of the episode we will announce the champs for next week that's going to have mark and gibby they're gonna have to uh to craft something up for that but right now let's uh let's sort of change directions here and head on over to gibby's lore lounge trust me i know what i'm doing all right, cue up the crackling fire, grab your armchair, and grab your robe with a fancy cocktail. It is Gibby's Lore Lounge. Welcome in. The carpet is velvet and the cartons are soft. It is time to kick back, relax, and let's delve a little bit into an interesting champion of the League of Legends, Legends of Runeterra universe, and find out a little bit more about this champion. Last time on the first edition of this segment, I did Ziggs, and I looked a little bit further into Ziggs. I, I through a conversation within Discord with one of our members of Discord, I found out how cool Zig, what Ziggs was, and I just wanted to talk about him, and I got thinking, who is somebody else that is really cool, um, that's relatively new, uh, that... I feel we would benefit a conversation from learning about who better to delve a little bit into and learn about than a champion that is brand new to the universe in general. So I, I think that Akshan is someone that could use some exploring and I don't really know his motivations. I know DBN was very uh, pro auction when the uh, the darkness versus the when the the light versus and sentinels versus the the darkness um, uh, event was going on. I went kind of the evil dark route with with Viego, but I know he's one of those ruination. I was guys. one of them ruination guys uh, that got very western. We are a library. We're in a lore lounge. Let's stay in theme. Uh, no. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, br I'm gonna sit down with my ten gallon hat and my spurs, and <laughs> you're. In your I'm in a lounge. lounge. You're in a saloon. We get it. That's right. So, um, I figured this would be a good episode with having DBN on, uh, since he has a, a perfect, uh, a certain affinity for for Akshan, uh, to talk about him. So Akshan is a new champion to both LOL and LOR within the past couple of months. And he is part of the Sentinels. He's a rogue Sentinel. So I will post uh, along with some of the other, some of the, the deck code and whatnot for our two champs in a hat. I'll post a link in here to where you can find some of the the research and some of the stories that I, I wrote that were produced by Riot for us to be able to, to look a little bit at, at Akshan. So Akshan is kind of the uh, the do-gooder of the... Uh, the Sentinels that plays kind of by his own rules and will he likes doing as I would kind of a uh, contribute this to be 
uh, since I like playing D&D, he's chaotic good, right? If you were to put all in alignment with Akshan, he's chaotic good. He does good things and gets good results. Uh, he's a man of the people, but he does his own thing and maybe does some bad stuff and how to how to produce those results. So kind of a bar upon reading some of his lore, he was a beggar. He was a poor man on the east side in one of those kind of mercenary or merchant towns within Shirima. And after kind of being beat up by a bunch of people, you don't really learn until later on in the story that he actually did die. But uh, he was revived by someone who eventually became his mentor, a woman named Shadia or Shadia, Shadia, um, S-H-A-D-Y-A. So Shadia, um, she uh, was a sentinel herself. And while everyone was kind of taught, and it's almost like almost an unspoken rule in Sharima to fend for yourself, keep your head down, focus on your own on your own life and not cause trouble. She decided, no, I'm gonna save this boy. I'm gonna save this boy who's out in this in this alley unconscious. She took him in and uh, she saved him, built him up. and in exchange for free housing and uh, a better life, he dedicated his life to the Sentinels just as she had and she currently was doing. So um, she taught him everything he knew about kind of fighting and recognized the potential in him that he had not only this courageous and powerful um, like self of spirit about himself, but he also was talented and a very, he had a good heart, uh, which was a kind of a unique combination of people that he wasn't afraid to say something or do something for the, for the good of somebody else. Um, but he also was like i guess just a good person that he was a fighter he was strong so after kind of growing up and and becoming a sentinel uh the incoming ruination that took place when the the sentinels versus the ruination um or the the uh the light versus dark event that we saw in legends of runeterra happened upon that incoming incoming and impending event uh, Shadja and Rakshan tried to acquire a bunch of very powerful uh, tools and weapons to be able to fight off the darkness. And but those those tools that had to be dug up from certain uh, burial grounds or chambers um, that hadn't been touched for so long had actually been stolen uh, and acquired by these very powerful and very selfish warlords in Sharima. Now, Shadja tried to convince the warlords to hand over those weapons for the good of the people so that they could use them to defend themselves, which would benefit them as well. But the warlords said no. Uh, and after several times of back and forth and things becoming more intense and more desperate, one of the warlords actually killed Shadja. And that tore Akshan apart. And that's really where the, the story that Riot put out kind of centers on is the aftermath of Shadja's death or Shadja's death. And Akshan trying to reinvent himself and not only kind of keep that memory of Shadja and what she stood for and his core ideals, but also a little bit of vengeance. I mean, who wouldn't want that with with someone with him kind of having this roguish nature uh, for good reasons? He wants to avenge the death of his mentor. So there was a a weapon that we actually see as a card in LOR. Uh, that had that Shadja told Akshan to never touch, called the Absolver. It was this imbued magical weapon 
gun of sorts that um, actually had a magical property about it that Akshan didn't know about. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Akshan actually died. The property of the Absolver was upon someone being murdered, if somebody was to kill a murderer with the Absolver, it would resurrect whoever they recently killed. So that's actually how Shadja resurrected Akshan, is she killed the the people that uh, beat up and actually killed Akshan and resurrected him. Little did he know. Even though she swore him to never use the weapon, he took the weapon and said, I'm going to use this to resurrect her just as, he, as uh, she did me while trying to keep memory of her and he's fading, it's fading in his mind and he's having a hard time remembering her. He finds this, this kind of beggar with this bracelet that actually used to be his mentors. And he's wondering how he, he, he kind of questions this girl and kind of like shakes her up and says, how did you acquire this? And she admits that she got it from one of these warlords because she was wearing the bracelet when she died. So that was his first clue about who killed his mentor. So he goes to these war, this, he sneaks into this warlord's uh, palace. And um, as you're starting to see some similarities to some of the cards that are paired with Akshan in LOR, he sneaks into this warlord's palace and he actually kills the warlord um, and sneaks out, hoping that that would, re- that would resurrect Shadja, but it does not. So there was clearly another warlord that um, killed her. Upon doing that, he realizes that Shadja would never have wanted him to kill somebody on her behalf, and he finds peace in that, and he actually steals the other four bracelets that were a part of this five-piece set, um, and he gives them to this young woman that was on the street living homelessly that he actually originally took that that bracelet from and says, here, have these. They were from somebody very important to me, and go sell them and make a life for yourself and do good things. And he becomes this champion of peace and almost a Robin Hood-esque figure wanting to do good for the public, be a champion, but not with murder. He's not afraid to murder somebody if he has to, but that will not be his first option to do so. So it creates this immensely deep, detailed backstory about Akshan's motives and the way that he operates and giving him a sense of self-purpose as he goes and lives throughout the lives throughout Sharima and works past his mentor's death. Um, some of the things that I loved about this and the way that they portrayed Akshan, not only is he has such a cool gun with his grappling hook and with the absolver, and we see those as really cool tools in LOR um, and in League of Legends, um, but him trying to break in and steal all of these really expensive goods through the warlord's palace in in uh, legends of runeterra and the warlord's horde um and getting all these really cool buffs and cool things uh these relics of power as it were um there's a lot of there's a lot here that's so thematically on point that it really brings home that akshan is uh, exactly what in in game what his story wants him to be. You feel authentic playing Akshan in game in League of Legends in Legends of Runeterra. You feel like you are connecting as a player with the champion, which I th- and I think they did the same thing with Viego. 
upon releasing him, which is exactly what you would want. You want to identify the play and the style of play with the character and who they are and their motives. So um, I really enjoyed learning more about Akshan. I I encourage anybody else to go read about him. And I'll make, like I said, I'll make sure I post the story uh, of what Riot put out about Akshan and not only his biography in the background, which is kind of pre-death of, of his of his mentor, but then the actual story, which is more post-death uh, and kind of getting us up to date about where uh, Akshan is and what he's up to. Dude, that was really cool. I love this section. This is awesome. I I got I just got to sit back and have story time. I literally it's like it's like Gibby's over here reading me bedtime stories. I love this. You sleepy? Uh, that's great, dude. And, and you know what's crazy is that like that that story exactly melds to the experience of like piloting an Akshan mm-hmm. deck, and really especially if you're able to kind of like like his his design is so flavorful because it literally tells a story as you like meet the different objectives of playing him leveling the palace then leveling the horde it literally tells a story of a heist and of course you know he himself is just so fun and flavorful and dynamic really gives you like you said like those robin hood vibes you know it's 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 very Oh, it's very, very cool, especially to hear that sort of background. And actually, the coolest part was understanding what the Absolver is, because I had no clue what that was. And it's a cool, good card that we've been using. And I'm sitting here like, I don't know what the heck this is. And now, like, it, to know that it's got such cool lore implications behind it is really fun. Yeah, it, it's really, really cool. And, I mean, actually, to, to further that um, even a bit further... Um, what the weapon is um it's it's actually let me read exactly what it says um so when he kills the warlord this is how it's described with a squeeze of the grip akshan fires the absolver illuminating the bedroom as countless bolts of relic stone light pierced the warlord's body if that might give you a little bit even further context as to like the firing mechanism and like the the flavor. I know you and I as D&D players are all about the flavor of anytime we kill something in, in D&D. Like yeah. how did you do this or how did it how, how does it look? That's so important to a character's flavor that provides even further kind of yeah. flavor and context. Ah, it's so cool, man. I love that. It's oh, a relic these lore light. lounges are these lore lounges are awesome. I think it would be interesting to have uh, the listeners, because last time we uh, we did this, a bunch of people chimed in and said how much they liked it. It'd be really neat to see, like, what what like what tell us what champions are you yeah. really interested in learning more about the lore, and would you like to have Gibby uh, to read to you in an imagined lounge filled with cigars and fine leather chairs and mahogany Brandy. desks and whatnot. Uh, yes, so, so, uh, next time we have the lore lounge, uh, yeah, I'm sure Gibby would love to hear from you guys. What, uh, some of your kind of most, most interested, uh, lore characters are. Um, and we'd just be interested a, to just hear imagine, uh, just imagine a Poro in a tuck serving you a, gra- a glass of whiskey. I would love that. That would be incredible. Um, well, that's going to be the lore lounge, but, uh, what do you say, Gibby? We do have one more segment left and I think this one's going to be pretty cool. It is. 
So we're going to go over to a segment that I have just decided to call DBN's Reworkshop. Only fools hesitate. All right. So we are going to jump into a new section that, I mean, it's not new if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, because you know that I love uh, coming up with my own changes, balance changes, reworks, etc. So this is DBN's Reworkshop. Okay, and so the, the challenge is, and, and let's be real, I did kind of tell you guys this would happen uh, last week, uh, but uh, but we're going to, Gibby and I are going to rework the, possibly the worst champion in the game, which is Katarina. So uh, we, we both sort of took some time and we, uh, we developed independently without talking to each other, we developed our own rework to Katarina. So, uh, Gibby, why don't you, why don't you go first? Tell me what is your approach to fixing this terrible, terrible Noxus champion? All right. So my rework involves a couple things, but first things first, I can't believe this far into the game, we don't have a four cost Noxus champion. Yep. So that's the first thing that's got to change is that we need to have that slot. Part of what makes a really cohesive and viable deck is having champions on different cost levels that helps a lot because you can ostensibly play them back to back. Mm -hmm. You don't have to you don't you're not it's not clunking up your hand because you can't play your two most powerful cards on the same turn if they're the same mana cost when you finally get to that place. So I'd like to make her a four a four mana card, and then my next thing would be to to, to bump her stats uh, to a four a four attack three defense. She'd still have quick attack, and the play effect at level one would say, "Give me elusive this turn and create a blade a fleeting blades edge in hand." Now, I think this is important because I like the way that elusive worked, or essentially stealth worked in Hearthstone, where it only was for the turn when you played a unit and it didn't last around. I think that's something that elusive. Um, makes Elusive such a dangerous and kind of very tricky mechanic within Legends of Runeterra the way it's written now is that because Elusive sticks around, they either have to really understat units that have Elusive or um, they have to kind of be careful with some of the effects that they get and some of the discounting because any unit that's Elusive that is statted, uh, that is statted well or has, good, has relevant keywords on it or it can be discounted almost like a Wiggly Burble Fish um, becomes very dangerous, and we've seen it kind of d just take over the meta in a several occasions um, over the years. So I would propose that elusive, this elusive only lasts for the turn. She is a very stealthy, very assassin-like character, so I think it makes sense that upon initially coming down, she has elusive for just the turn. So her play effect says, give me elusive this turn and create a, a fleeting blade's edge in hand. When I strike create a fleeting blades edge in hand as well blades edge being the one cost deal one to anything spell fast spell so it's you get a little bit of extra damage and kill and uses to play because she, she's throwing out these blades her level up requirement says when i have struck three times uh we've seen that in a couple other champions like garen or um garen has a has a striking level uh, requirement which I really like and it's not about the amount of damage it does it's not about the amount of like whether it's offense or defense you can block with her or maybe on a cheap unit and, and get a strike in but you got to be careful with it um, you most off you most likely want to do it on offense because she has um, or through a spell because she has that quick attack so when I have struck three times um, 
upon level up, recall me back in hand and reduce my cost by one. So reduce the cost of Katarina's everywhere. So she becomes a five four unit with it with with uh, quick attack. That's that reduced her cost by one. So she would now be a three cost card. So you could play her again at three mana. Her level up play play text says summon a blade's edge in hand and rally. The blade's edge is now permanent, not fleeting, permanent, and and rally. Every time I strike, summon a blade's edge in hand, recall me, and reduce my cost by one down to a minimum of one. So it's not this she's free and just recurring, just absolute onslaught, but it is you can reduce her down to a really pretty low cost. So you can play a bunch of other units, then play her to rally and then go in. Um, this rework is also predicated on the idea that they rework rally, where rally only goes off once per turn. Now that limits maybe an archetype or two, something like a Tarek Jarvan, where you can play Golden Aegis on Tarek. And so you play Golden Aegis, it rallies. Um, you go in with Tarek, and he passes that that spell on to another unit, and then it rallies again. Um, so there's there's a multiple rally potential there. So it does kind of kneecap that, but I'm not I'm not too concerned with that. That's really only one or two occasions of archetypes that it limits to really open the world up for a brand new champion essentially being born so that would be my suggestion for a rework well and, and you, you could still utilize that recall effect kind of keep her home mm -hmm. you, you you could try to do something good you could try to do something where you um uh, only like you could put a tag on it like only works the first time like per turn or whatever that they yeah rally. you could tag it in in the text yeah yeah you could you could tag it in the text where like almost like an aphelios um like a counter as things are playing or as it's happening it says like zero out of one or like one out of one rallies per turn that it's like the effect's gone off so you know that you can't do it again this turn um i think that also capping the amount of rallies make sure that defensively on a defensive turn she still has some utility and maybe you can get an attack off with her, but she's also not so kneecapping on a defensive turn where she's just absolutely just destroying teams of, of units on the other side of the board by just rallying over and over and over again. I would hate to see that. Or at least if you want to rally multiple times, you need to have another card um, that requires deck slots. So yeah, that's kind of my thought with it. Um, I will slide in a second rework idea that I thought about while I was talking about my first one that maybe is even cooler and even more simple. Keep the condition of the has to strike three times. But I would love her level one text to say, upon playing me, disguise me as a unit in your hand that costs equal or less than me. And when she strikes... When she attacks and is about to strike, she's revealed as her actual self. Oh, that's so cool! That's so. So cool. you still get the, you still get the summon effect of whatever you choose to disguise her as. That's equal or lesser cost to her. But um, when she actually strikes, she reveals herself as Katarina. Gets she has that quick attack property. Oh, 
gosh, and that would be that would be so probably, trolly. Probably. Like I can't I can't even imagine what people would think of that. But it would be like you would know that it's in the deck because you could see that the champion is in the deck, but you don't ever know when it is the thing. I feel like that might be more like LeBlanc though, because isn't LeBlanc like an illusionist and like a like a political manipulator? Like that might be a really cool yeah. like a LeBlanc thing, honestly. But um. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, that's a little bit more on such well, a cool she's a, idea, so, so though. LeBlanc is kind of like the mirror mage, right? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? There's like, you have something like, let's say that, let's say you were playing it with, um, like, uh, what is it, right of calling, and somebody they right of calling, yeah, and they now know you have you got it. Katarina in hand, or maybe, maybe you have one of your two champions in hand if you're running two champions, which you most likely are. Mm-hmm. You've now got a champion in hand. It could be a Katarina. Mm-hmm. And you now have the mana to play her, and they saw you just spend four oh, mana. That would be so cool, man. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's not. There's yeah. just this assassin, like, mind I, I game, think that, roguish I do think thing that here. that's more LeBlanc. Uh, but I, I do, or, or another champion. I don't know, somebody. Because I think Katarina is very much, like, not, it's like a, a strike from the shadows assassin, not like an infiltrator. I could be wrong, uh, but but that concept in general is just like the coolest. So I love that. Yeah, I would I would love to see that. Yeah, but so again, my first rework sounds more on brand for for Katarina. But the second one, if you had to ask me to put one of the two of them in the game, I would pick. The yeah, second one no, by far. I love that. Although I just I'm thinking now about how impossible it would be to like plan combat against that deck because you just are constantly second guessing, which would be cool. <laughs> which would be cool. Um, mm-hmm. So so my my version now I'm now feeling a bit eclipsed uh, because that's such a fun idea. Um, I also went four mana because again. Why do we need another three mana Noxus champion? We don't. So let's make a four mana one. Uh, for stats, you went four three. I went five three. And um, part of that, part of that is the reputation triggers, um, and, and wanting to enable Katarina to synergize with as much else, especially since we're buffing her attack or buffing her cost. I mean, um, uh, so, but the second part of that is. I'm not giving her quick attack. And the reason for that is there's going to be a new spell associated with her. So what it's going to say is uh, her text again, four mana, five, three, when I'm summoned or when you gain the attack token, create a preparation in hand. This is a new, this is a new spell. And mind you guys, I kind of floated out a version of this, of, of a Katarina rework last week. And I wanted to do something completely different since I already kind of, gave one idea so this idea is based around the uh, preparation passive ability that katarina has in league of legends so uh preparation is a one mana fast spell it reads give an enemy vulnerable and grant katarina quick attack so you can get that quick attack on katarina for the turn um and actually it would be it would be give katarina quick attack so not grant give because it would just last for the turn um and so what would happen is um, her level up ability would require you to kill two units that have vulnerable. So in whatever fashion you want, 
uh, you can you know play the preparation before the combat, in which case it takes up an act uh, you know the action economy. They'll see which one you're trying to go after, and they have a chance to respond. Or you can throw Katarina into combat, and if they block it with something, you can then give her quick attack and give that thing vulnerable. Of course, they'll know that that's an option, but you can always still do it, right? And if they choose not to block at all, then you get the damage through. Um, so that that's a uh, that's a potential kind of interesting layer and wrinkle with the preparation spell. Now, upon leveling, which again you would have to kill two units with vulnerable. So Katarina would have to kill two units with vulnerable, so that that at least unless you have a rally, you're at least going to have to take two rounds of attacks uh, before Katarina levels. But the payoff I think is pretty cool and and maybe maybe worth it. So level two obviously goes up in stats once more to a six four. Um, when I'm summoned or when you gain the attack token, create a preparation in hand, same thing. But the new text is when I kill a unit, create a Shunpo or death Lotus and put it into your hand. So you get to choose a Shunpo or a death Lotus to add to your hand. Um, and I think that honestly, that will be one of the kind of coolest, uh, uses because, one of the things that uh, that she has, her passive in the game, uh, is actually the ability to, when she kills something, um, she gets to reduce the cooldowns on her abilities. And uh, Death Lotus and Shunpo are two of her active abilities in the game. So it really kind of uh, kind of fleshes out some of those those themes behind Katarina. I would even add a third card to that option, and I would put a calling strike in there. Well, that's not her her ability. Calling strike is is Darius, I think. But I mean, you could I, you, I, you I could, don't or know. you could put the the blade one, the one deal one, because that would be actually might be the better one. Is the you've got the one mana deal one to anything, the two mana Death Lotus or the Shunpo, like Blade's Edge, Death Lotus or Shunpo, because there are some situations where yeah. you want to deal the one damage to face and instead of the one damage to all of their units. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking that calling strike is supposed to be hers. Um, as I'm looking at the shape and like the curves of the dagger that's in the calling strike animation and the ones that are in hers, in her, uh, photos, I think it's the same one. I could be wrong on that. I'm not a, I'm a Dota man. So all of the research I do on these LOL champions comes from, uh, looking it up. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but one way or the other, I think that ability to have her for the rest of the game, you can always still give her the quick attack for the round and create the vulnerable. So she's that sustained. I can remove your, I'm, I'm singling out a unit and assassinating them. And then when I kill it, mm-hmm. I get to get an extra sort of uh, ability. So it's a, it's a champion that continually gives you value throughout the game, but it's all board based. It doesn't deal damage directly to face. It's not going to be, you know, generating free attacks. It's all going to be about, you know, doing what Katarina does best, which is assassinating people. And that's what I wanted to see out of the rework. So um, I love, I'm really happy with how this rework turned out for myself. I think Gibby, both of your reworks sound really interesting. I love the second one. And I think that that would just be a cool mechanic to incorporate uh, on a champion, no matter what. And, And maybe there's a champion out there that really does, you know, kind of disguise themselves or like or like a like a shapeshifter or or something like that that is known to do that. I know there's a couple characters and Dota 
that uh, there's a character called Morphlink, which literally changes shape to and ha- gains the abilities of other you know, characters and stuff like that. So that could be really, really interesting um, to see something like that. Um, but that that's our that's our segment. Hopefully you guys liked the uh, the reworkshop. And if you have some other ideas or, or want to tell us what you think about our reworks, you absolutely can go to the podcast discussion channel within our Discord page. Check that out. Um, and tell us what you think. If you have other ideas for Katarina work, uh, reworks or any other reworks, or ones that you want to see us do, just like with Gibby Section, I would happily discuss um, a popularly requested uh, champion or card that uh, to rework in a future section. So go on over there. I think we are going to uh, start wrapping up to, uh, to get out of here. But um, since Mark is not here for the closing thoughts, uh, we are doing something different. We did it last time, uh, which is closing callouts. So this is where Gibby and I uh, can just take a second to shout out a, usually uh, something that we've been into le- lately or something we really appreciate, uh, whether it's a creator or a uh, product or something like that that we either use or are really interested or excited about. So it can be anything. Uh, but, uh, but Gibby, do you have yours in mind? I do. So shout out to, I know she doesn't listen to our podcast. Maybe she will just for this. My friend and your friend, one of our best friends in the whole world, her name is Annika, and she is a very talented and uh, she's a very talented artist, musician, and her current career is a wedding planner and a florist. She has a a wonderful, awesome business called Floriography, um, which combines some of the wedding planning along with floral, floral uh, providing flowers for weddings and then preserving them afterwards. Um, uh, for the bride and groom at a later date to either take home for mementos or have as wedding gifts later down the road, like a year or two past, which is an awesome idea. Go look up Floriography. Anybody who needs wedding things, she's fantastic. She lives in DC. Um, But you can order her stuff anywhere. Now, I bring this up because my wife and I, Mackenzie and I, have been talking about... um, I currently work in supply chain and I work in uh, logistics and I'm a logistics analyst working from home and I love what I do. And my wife is probably within, I'll say eight months of becoming a certified neuropsychologist doctor. And she's worked very hard to get to her career and where she's at. And she loves what she does. But we've both talked about, um, what would we want to do if we ever changed careers? And if like later on down the road in life, cause there's always room to do something new and, and chase a new passion. And I think she and I honestly both agreed that we would love to be like wedding planners, like, like a, like a duo that we would love to plan like weddings. She's very organized and she loves doing a lot of the like procurement of like find finding like really good deals and resources and like helping people structure and plan weddings. She's very passionate about that. Um, and I think something that I would want to do is I would want to, I would want to get almost like a warehouse full of not a full warehouse, but like have an inventory full of um, items and th- items or services um, or decorations and things that people could rent out for a fixed price for their wedding and then we would keep them like updated and keep um 
them like fresh and clean and new and but provide a very cost effective option to pair along with her wedding planning services my wife um for people to use for their weddings so like we we just kind of got on this train today while we were eating dinner um about what that business would look like and that made me very excited for like all the possibilities of things that like you could do later on in life and that you're never fixed into one career you're never fixed into one idea and this is kind of combining our segment with Mark's of like, yeah, this whole, we like, just said it wasn't a closing tools. thought and you're coming in here with some inspirational crap. What the heck, man? You know, Mark has influenced me just as Ugh. much as you So I, I have to, I have to say, um, so one floreography shouting that out, that's probably the, the business or like the person or the creator you know, the, the, that the I want to shout we're out doing for the segment, but no, go on, you know, <laughs> you know. So shouting out Annika, Annika uh, yeah, Paquette she, and her choreography, amazing, but and, uh, she really cares a lot about every single one of her clients. So I, I mean, I, I, I'm, yep. I'm not married, but I was, uh, you know, Gibby's best man. And uh, it mm-hmm. was, uh, I mean, along she, with her husband yeah, yeah. and she was my wedding well, planner. And she did so much like over, like above and beyond. And it's, it's not just because, you know, Gibby McKenzie and, and that are friends with her it's because that's just who she is so i mean if you're in up in dc area um and she also just does flower stuff for holidays and gifts for mother's day and father's day and christmas and stuff too i think so i mean she's just a, a great resource uh for something like that and she puts a lot of personal pride into it so check that out totally agree now you make me feel bad for not bumping a friend's uh, small business, but I'm not I'm not prepared for that. So next time I'll come prepared for that. Don't, so I don't, don't seem do like that. a jerk. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in more gaming, uh, the more gaming realm, um, I actually I mean, I'm a forever DM. So I, I always uh, am end up running campaigns and 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 D&D stuff. But I'm also really I mean, it's a choice. I love it. I do really love it. Um, I do like to play every once in a while, and I do get to play every once in a while. But but I spend a lot of time thinking about games uh, and and stories that I want to tell, and and of you know and and cool things I want the players to to get a chance to do, or or fretting over the crazy things that are going to happen inevitably. Um, but one thing is, I do try to like assemble uh, resources that help me do those things better and more efficiently. And I'm one of those people that I just, I cannot run pre-built sessions. Like I cannot run, you know, something straight out of the book because I'll always find something with it I don't like or that I think is not good or that my players won't like or that my players will find loopholes in or something like that. And uh, sometimes they're just too, they're too detailed. They're too specific and they don't leave enough room for creativity. Um, So I always end up making my own stuff, which is very time consuming. Very, very time consuming. And I love it, but it is. So I'm always looking for tools to help me do things faster. And probably one of the most recently like uh, ones that I, I used again, and I've done this in the past, I have a homebrew D&D setting that I have draw, hand-drawn, a, and it's not pretty, a map for. And at this point, um, eventually I'm going to get somebody to like make it pretty and pay somebody to do it, but I haven't done that yet. But for any other like system that I run, or if I'm building a world for something, um, I am always now using map uh, or building maps in a software called hexographer. And it is amazing because what it does is it, um, 
it, there's a completely free version that you can just download. It, it's it's reputable. There's no bugs or, or viruses or anything with it, at least none that I have uh, that I know of. Uh, but it, it's been around for a while. A lot of other D&D content creators use it, which is where I, I found it. And it is so incredible for quickly, you know, sketching out through these like a hex based grid uh, maps and areas. And it's got all these different like colored, um, you know, tokens that are like tokens, but also shaders so that you can like mark different types of land. So that if there's a forest here, you can do a couple squares of of uh, trees. If there's mountains, you can do some squares of mountains and it's quick. It's easy to use. It's intuitive and uh, you can export it to all different you know sizes. You have all these customizing options and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, you're able to take that product. And if you want, you can slap it in Photoshop and you know, add on, you know, names or something like that to the cities or whatever, but you can just really quickly sketch up a map to be able to hand to your players and say, Hey, I'm uploading this, uh, this PNG, take a look at it. This is the map. And, uh, and so I've been kind of exploring recently those tools a little bit more. And I just really wanted to, for my, my other DMS out there, if you don't have time to hand draw a map, just use hexographer. It's amazing. Now is this the pr- is this the program that you showed me your potential one shot or potential full on campaign uh, that you created the map of in the Pokemon that's world? That's right. So I I've been uh, that's another thing that I considered shouting. I just didn't know if there was enough people to appreciate it because it's a little more less. It's, oh, there it's, are there's gen- lots of it's, nerds. It's, in our it's, it's more specific, but I, I stumbled across a great um, a really cool um, Pokemon uh, hack for the D&D 5e system, which I am now uh, planning to run some sort of game for at some point because it's so cool and it's so interesting. It even has an app uh, that you can download onto your Android uh, that uh, that pairs with it. Um, and I'm a, I love Pokemon, so I mean, that, that that's part of it. But uh, I did. I went in and I made my own region, my own Pokemon region, and mapped it all out. And then I just slapped in Photoshop, used a couple of generic shapes. You could do it in Illustrator too, if you prefer. Maybe even in Microsoft Paint, drew the the lines between it to make the live different routes and stuff. And voila, it looked a lot like the ones you'd have in the old 8-bit games. <laughs> so it was really cool. And and I and I've made them for other times for DD games and stuff like that for different like smaller regions that they're exploring. So um just check it out, Hexographer. Uh, you can download a free version and it just gives you a lot for being free. It's pretty great. Um, so that's actually going to do it for this episode of Legends Cast. Thank you guys so much for listening in. The last thing that we're going to do is pull those two champs and a hat for next week so that Mark and Gibby have some crazy combination to play with. So Gibby, uh, what are you going to be cooking with next week? Because I won't. Haha. <laughs> calling, calling Mark. Mark to the stage, you and I will be next week creating a deck that we will discuss in depth like we did this week with our Sivir Aurelian Soul deck. Next week's combination is Renekton and Echo. Oh, shoot. Which is cool. I love Renekton. Renekton is one of my favorite champions that is bad. And so, like, I I love, I mean, he's had one deck that he's been playable in in the past ever. And I'm so, that's really cool. I'm a little bit jealous. Echo, not so much, but Renekton is super cool. Well, you can always submit your ideas to me and inspire me (laughs) to create a deck of your, of your, 
foundational building. I mean, so Renekton and Echo are going to be for both four-cost champions, so there's probably going to be yeah, a bit clunky. Um, and true. they also really have nothing to do with each other. Mm, yeah. But predict is always good, so it's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so it, it'll, be a, it'll be a cool deck, and if anybody else wants to this week build one alongside of us, post it in Discord, post it in, in the, the Patreon channel, post it in podcast discussion, post it in Deck Tech, wherever you want to post it. We've got several locations that it fits. So we'd love to see what your ideas are um, and what your brews are and come up with something that maybe Mark and I will shout out on the podcast next week. So definitely opportunity for that there. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. That's going to do it for this week. Be sure to come again and check out next week's episode of the Legends Cast. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.